0: Good morning, Um, I'm Amber Wachowski, I'm a professor of political science here at Marquette. I also direct the Marquette Civic Dialogues Program and I also work um, with community partners and students in the Marquette Democracy Lab, which I founded back in 2015. So I'll be um, bringing in some of the work that we've been doing here on campus and in the near west side neighborhood of Milwaukee um, and also introducing you to some other tools that we're using here on campus um, in terms of getting to know um, your community, whether it be within your congregation or thinking about the context in which your, your church your congregation um, resides. So, very quickly, here is um, our agenda for my brief session here. I wanna talk a little bit about motivations kind of what brings you here, what you're curious about, what you're hoping to gain. That's helpful for me to understand this context. Um, I'm then gonna talk about a few different strategies and tools. I'm gonna talk about asset-based mapping. I'll talk about doing community surveys, um, as well as finding ways to maybe, instead of surveying and kind of going out in the community, maybe finding a space where you would be inviting people together to have a a discussion or a dialogue, and what might be the benefits of that approach. And then I'm also gonna talk about a story exchange, which is a slightly different method of of, um, trying to connect um, and build uh, relationships and understanding. Okay, so I'm curious, what brings you here? What's your motivation? What are you curious about? Um, It could be a question, it could be a goal. What are you hoping? Um, Let's see. We've got, they want to be part of a problem-solving group, get tools, ideas, better connect our ministry to the community, Uh, deepen faith in community. There's been growth in our community, that's great. So who are these people? Who are our new congregants? Love my church and want others to share our joy. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, Targeted direction in the life of our church, listening for needs in the community, figuring out how our church works better, um, would, how to reach out community with God's love efficiently and I, um, I can scroll here dig deeper into how to seek to understand our church context find tools to help us evaluate where we are and where we might go um, help to build the Empire of God curiosity learn how to help our church okay so I'm going to show a quick uh, clip here and this is a little bit about my motivation um, for kind of how I think about um, this work, um, sort of what, what drives me or motivates me. And I don't know, how many of you maybe read any news about the Surgeon General's report from last summer? So quite a few about the loneliness epidemic. He's got a very nice kind of short two minute clip I'm gonna show for those that are not familiar with um, with the report.
1: Loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. Being socially disconnected, which can range from feeling alone to being isolated, is bad both for individual and societal health. Research shows that loneliness and isolation are associated with a greater risk of heart disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. In fact, lacking connection can increase the risk of premature death to levels comparable to smoking daily. Loneliness and social isolation are also far more common than we might realize. About one in two American adults report experiencing loneliness. Everyone can be impacted across all ages, socioeconomic conditions, and geographies. This widespread disconnection presents profound threats to our health and well being. Social connection is as fundamental to our mental and physical health as food, water, and sleep, and it affects our performance and productivity at work, school, and in our communities. Now is the time to invest in building social connection. This first ever Surgeon General's advisory on our epidemic of loneliness and isolation shows us how. The keys to connection are simple. Answer a phone call from a friend. Invite someone over to share a meal. Listen and be present during conversation. Seek out opportunities to serve others. These steps may seem small, but they're extraordinarily powerful. By strengthening our relationships, we can improve our heart and brain health, reduce our risk of diabetes and high blood pressure, boost our immune systems, and lower our risk of depression. We can build lives and communities that are healthier and happier, and we can ensure our country and the world are better poised than ever to take on the challenges that lie ahead.
0: All right, well, the wonderful news For me and hopefully for you is that. um, Oops, I need to figure out how to advance to the next slide. There we go. Is that you all are part of the solution? Um, Lots of research documents the importance of a social, a civic infrastructure, the importance of institutions, schools, churches, community-based organizations, Um, and so I'm excited to hear that there is a program that there are interested churches in finding ways to connect, um, both building relationships within their congregation, but also connecting um, uh, beyond and connecting to your, to your communities and to your neighborhoods. This is a little small, so I'm gonna, um, uh, I'll share these resources with, um, with Steven, um, but this comes from the ABCD uh, Institute. Has anybody, it's the Asset-Based Community Development, has, has anybody done or heard of asset-based Mapping or asset mapping heard of it. it. So not neither of your communities your churches has done like an asset map awesome Um, okay, so um, Gary, I think you had the question about like how do we define the community? Um, And so this is a really great tool if you're really at that. I'm curious about How would we define the geographic boundary like what exists within our community? Um, we Um, There's actually a church, I think Lutheran Redeemer, I believe, that did, uh, this is several years ago now, did an asset map here in the near west side. And so this is a wonderful thing, students, young people can do it, Uh, Like it could be a youth activity, Um, it could be a group that you're bringing together. Um, To look at, I'll go kind of around the, the circle here, but we think about the associations, the physical assets, the institutions. Kind of the economic um, uh, actors and, and businesses, um, churches, um, other excuse me, not churches, credit unions, banks, community development corporations and so on. Um, the next two kind of culture stories and individuals um, is, is in some sense a little bit harder. It requires a bit more kind of seeking out and discerning. I think some of the, uh, the work that we've done with students, uh, students here at Marquette have also done these asset maps where they'll just look at like, okay, how many churches? Well, first off, you gotta kind of decide where your boundary is. And you can do some of this, um, this work in a deliberative fashion. We've done some exercises where we just ask people, okay, draw your, draw your map. like what is our neighborhood? Like what would be your, your markers, your boundaries that you would use um, in order to define the sort of geographic reach or the community that you're embedded in? Um, Google can be your friend here, right? It's very easy to um, look at the number of of organizations. You could look at schools, you could look at at nonprofits, community based organizations, food pantries. Start to kind of map it out. Um, Look at essentially doing a census of the the assets that are there. The physical space, the gardens, the parks, the playgrounds. Do you have green space? Where is the green space? Uh, Walking paths, we've had um, students look at um, even doing things like, you can get really deep, um, doing pedestrian counts, how walkability uh, walkability scores. These are all things, data points that you can actually get on your community um, that kind of maps out. Uh, The institutions I mentioned might be hospitals, it might be libraries, it might be schools, but you're kind of mapping it all out. in the near west side, we've done, um, we've, we've had students like walk the community and just making note of the, um, the different businesses um, and doing what they call almost like a commercial corridor survey or audit. Um, so that's kind of mapping out the institutions. Why might you wanna do that? You might think that there are great opportunities to partner, to do outreach, um, to extend invitations. If you do programming, you know, at your, at your church, like, There are folks who've already started to convene and organize. It's often easier to organize among organizations. Um, So the asset map can be a really great tool to help you identify um, potential partners, um, collaborations. The culture and the stories and the individuals, um, you can get very creative here. Um, We've done uh, students here at Marquette went out and they met with um, folks who'd been active in neighborhood associations. And they just asked, you know, tell, tell us your story. How long have you lived here? Um, you know, what brought you? What, what makes you Love you know what you love about this, this neighborhood, this community. Um, Redeemer, when they did an asset map, they asked individuals about what gifts they have, what talents. They were really interested in finding ways to connect people. Who are the carpenters? Who are the people who are artists, musicians? There was interest in doing um, classes and connecting kids in a youth program with people who might be able to offer some, some lessons in singing or in piano. Um, And so they had kind of done some some mapping of the gifts that exist within the community. (coughs) Um, And so uh, this is a a great tool that you can use. Maybe it's something that you wanna do in the beginning to kind of get a sense of what's present and available um, in in your community. You might even start within your congregation and do what's called like a snowball sort of technique. So you start and you say, all right, Luke, you know, maybe we're gonna have this conversation, but I may ask Luke, you know, for, could, could you identify two more people that maybe you could have a conversation with um, and start capturing? These are all gifts, assets. Um, a lot of times, depending on where we, you know, community organizations, a lot of the work that I do is with, is with community-based organizations that are really interested in like, solving problems and they're worried about different sort of ills or problems that are present. Um, The asset map I think is a really great way to change the narrative and also find opportunities to highlight what's good and what's strong, what you'd want to extend, duplicate, um, uh, replicate um, uh, beyond. So a lot of um, opportunity here to do asset mapping. Okay and this is a picture of our very first um, community survey that we did um, and this um, is a student in the Democracy Lab um, probably in circa it's a um, blurry photo now that I've like blown it up, probably circa 20, 2015, 2016. Um, and this uh, was a survey that we did with the Near West Side Partners. The Near West Side Partners is a, a Marquette is a member of the Near West Side Partners, but it includes Aurora, Harley, Pottawatomi, um, and I'm um, and Miller. Uh, <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> These were organizations that wanted to come together to kind of strengthen, strengthen the, the near west side neighborhood. They were concerned about crime. They were um, concerned about lower rates of, of home homeownership. Um, they wanted to stabilize the community to, um, to develop it, to increase economic opportunities, to make it a place where people can thrive whether they're uh, folks who are living in the neighborhood or those who are working at um, the various um, institutions within the near west side. So we partnered with them um, to design a questionnaire, a survey. Um, They were really interested in what the residents in the neighborhood, what do they see as the strengths of the near west side, as well as what are some of the things that they're concerned about. So we worked with them to design a a questionnaire. And so uh, I was teaching students about how you word questions um, and how you would maybe analyze the the data. We've done our surveys in two ways. We've done, um, that's what uh, mode means, kind of the the delivery. Um, So you can do surveys in person. We've done, uh, this is a student, she's at an event. Um, And so she just has her clipboard and she is just asking people, you know, do you have a moment just to take uh, you know, a few minutes to talk to us? We're trying to gather um, information ab- about the, the neighborhood, the community, um, and so she's um, marking their responses there. During the pandemic, we were challenged with you know, doing survey work, um, and so we were doing a lot of online surveys and we were working with the community partners that we had identified in the asset map, can you help us You know, spread the word, share share our survey? Um, we also did mailers, we were knocking doors, we were trying to do all sorts of ways to kind of connect with, with the community. Um, and so we had uh, collected the survey we were using, you could use um, Google Forms, you could use SurveyMonkey, Qualtrics, these are different Um, or just like enter it into Excel. It doesn't have to be uh, complicated um, to to analyze the results of the survey. Um, I think there was um, real interest and surprise, actually. There was interest in kind of figuring out what residents had to say, and I think there was surprise in what the residents had to tell us, um, to be honest. And so I think uh, people went in kind of just expecting a real focus on like crime, and that was gonna maybe dominate, um, and it wasn't. Um, the issue that really dominated, that residents were, were so concerned about was garbage. <laughs> was the cleanliness of the of the neighborhood. Um, they identified it as like the top issue that they would like the Near West Side partners to take action on. Um, and so the Near West Side partners formed like a green team. Um, and they were also doing some work canvassing the neighborhood. They were um, presenting at community forums about how Residents could um, report and uh, ask a request for services to the Department of Neighborhood Services and the Department of Public Works in Milwaukee. Um, They were doing some uh, targeted outreach to some of the larger multifamily housing units that maybe didn't have large enough trash receptacles so that the trash is overflowing. Um, And so that was kind of step one, that they um, it was not an issue that was not at all on the Near West Side Partners radar. The second issue was lighting. Um, that uh, residents were saying, can we find ways to increase uh, street lighting, make it kind of brighter? This would make us feel more safer, more secure. And so they then worked to secure some funding um, and doing some pilot um, projects to kind of illuminate areas of the near west side where residents said, this is pretty, it's pretty dark. Um, Again, that was not something that the organization knew at the outset at all. It wasn't on their radar, it really was just through Um, collecting the the data and kind of looking at it. They were curious about if the responses differed between homeowners and renters. This is a very diverse community. Um, It's one of the most diverse communities in the city of of Milwaukee in terms of um, race, ethnicity, um, language. Um, This was also something that came up is that we needed to also find ways to translate our survey. So that might be something that your congregation, your church might need to consider. and then thinking about the ways that you want to maybe analyze the data is it for internal purpose that maybe would shape the programming or the types of services the things that you're identifying that the gifts that you have that you might be able to to share um or in the case of the near west Side partners we were also curious about sharing those results more more publicly like in a community forum to have the further discussion about like okay here's what individuals have have reported, what might we do about this? Um, And so it was, again, just one piece of information that you can gather. Um, In uh, 2021, I uh, launched the Marquette uh, Civic Dialogues Program. Um, We here at Marquette uh, felt like we needed to do a lot more work building community among students, particularly coming out of Virtual learning, the kind of a lot of time spent on screens, feeling more socially disconnected. We're also living in very polarized times. Um, I mean, we've kind of just seen it this sort of incivility, the partisan rancor. That I'm not sure if you're in a community in which these issues have kind of come to the surface, Um, but it feels like it's been um, it's that sort of fraying of the social fabric. Um, We we see it in our um, in our communities, our classrooms, maybe again, you're seeing it in your, in your congregations as well. <clears throat> so civic dialogue is um, a, an approach, um, I'll give you one, my version, one version of it, um, but it's an, uh, a, a method in which you're bringing people together to have a conversation, it's a deliberation, it's, it's a del- uh, um, an exercise in, if you will, del- deliberative democracy. Uh, we can think about the ways in which members of communities, however you define a community, or we think of like, um, I'll call you a, like a citizen of your community. Um, the thing that defines citizens is that what we all share is that we, we're all called to, to really address and answer one question. What should we do? Um, and so with my students, we talk about this, like it's so important in a, in a democracy that we come together Um, and that we deliberate and engage differences in perspective, opinion, ideas on what should we do. So we've held civic dialogues on a lot of different issues. What should we do about immigration policy? What should we do about climate change? What should we do to ensure the American dream for all? So we've hosted over the last uh, two years several of these. This is actually a photo from our very first one where the students were coming together to talk about what should we do about about climate change. The what should we do is a really powerful question. Uh, The what, you know, this is where we are engaging our facts, our evidence, what information are we, we bringing to the conversation? The should, what are the values that we're bringing to the conversation? And we live in a pluralistic democracy. Um, we may, some might prioritize, say, liberty over equality. They might say, well, oh, all of these values are important, but I'm going to kind of rank order them a little bit differently. And there's differences of opinion on how we think about the values that we, that we bring. The we in this question is important. It's not what should I do, but it's what do we as a community do? Um, And then it's the final, it's the action. uh, There's a nice parallel actually from that first exercise that you were all doing at your table where you were kind of confronted with what, like a hypothetical case that you were working through and deciding whether or not you're gonna take action or not. So I like the the parallel here. The way in which we have formatted these, we do these pretty structured because we're a university. I'm doing this as a way of kind of teaching core civic skills and public speaking, in listening, in sitting with difference and conflict and having productive disagreements. And so the way that we structure our civic dialogues is that we ask people, um, we say dinner's on us, (laughs) we'll feed you, Um, but in return, we ask you, can you take just a minute, answer a quick survey? And what we do is we kind of get a sense of where the students are on the various issues. And then with intention, we assign them to tables where there's viewpoint diversity so it's not just all like-minded people sitting together that's actually a really subpar um, conversation Um, (coughs) sometimes with our civic dialogues we've shown like a short film or a short um, a clip of something that where we looked at um, when we did our civic dialogue on homelessness we looked at Um, a a short 10-minute story that um, had aired on PBS about Austin, Texas's challenges with homelessness. And it was nice because it really complicated the issue. You heard from people in Austin talking about their different concerns um, and how they think about the issue. Um, And it it covered a a, a wide swath of of perspectives. So students watched that and then came together um, in a more deliberative, um, to reflect on what they had just watched, but as they were all collectively wrestling, like what should we do about homelessness? Um, we train uh, facilitators. Um, so these are students who are peer leaders. And the role of the facilitator in this style, in this format, is really just to um, establish the ground rules of the conversation. So the facilitator will remind participants you know, about making sure everybody has the opportunity to participate that we're not talking over each other, that we're respectful. And civility here, some, I don't like when people say being civil is like, oh, you're just being polite. Because I would argue that you could be like polite and actually not civil in the deepest sense. You can maybe sit there and not say anything, be quiet, and kind of nod. But maybe you're sitting there just tuning the person out, or you've got like these really, you know, um, nasty thoughts going through your head. Like I can't, or you're thinking about what you're gonna say. You're not being present in the moment. Civility, in this context, really means that um, try me. I'm here. I wanna. I wanna know what your perspective on this issue is, Jane. And I'm here to kind of receive it, to take it in, to respond, to reflect, and in turn. It's this mutual respect. I'm gonna expect that you kind of are gonna do the same. Um, it's that openness, that responsibility that we're going to, to hear and listen um, to and engage uh, one another. Um, in our, again, this is an, an educational program that we're doing um, a lot of in the classroom as well as outside of the classroom. So we do some pre-post surveys. We use the pre-survey to get diverse um, viewpoints present at the conversation. Um, the sweet spot for the Civic Dialogues, by the way, is about the size of that conversation. So you want no more than six to eight people present in the conversation. Anything bigger beyond that, it's hard for everybody to participate and have that rich um, inner interaction, discussion. Um, and then we use the post-survey. We're curious if people's opinions or thoughts have changed. We use the post-survey as almost a reflection exercise. You know, um, you, you came, maybe you came into the conversation thinking one thing or is, is there anything that maybe you're now second guessing or a perspective that you hadn't considered before. We're also really interested for our students <laughs> trying to increase their tolerance for disagreement to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like if I'm, when people ask about the dialogue, civic dialogue, program. often that's the needle I'm curious about. Like have I just made people more comfortable with being a little uncomfortable? And that it's okay that we don't always have to agree on, on everything. So that's the civic dialogue. <coughs> and then there's a, um, the final tip or strategy um, that I'll bring is the, um, the story exchange. Has anybody participated in like a story exchange program? All right, this is great. Um, so I'm a trained as uh, story facilitator with Narrative Four. Narrative Four is an international, it's a global organization. Um, it was started by Colin McCann, who's an who's an author. Um, wrote like Let the Great World Spin, um, Transatlantic, some fantastic books. Um, and a lot of his his writing and his books, it's really about all of those ways that we're all inter, we're all connected to one another, even if we don't know it, even if it's not super obvious. There's his stories always have that sort of reveal of like the ways in which our lives are, are all intersected. You know, we're, we're part of this broad global human community. Um, and so um, he is, um, the tagline for Narrative Four is radical hope through radical hope through radical empathy. It's hope, it's empathy. Um, and the way that it works is that um, you would invite people to come to your, to your church for a story exchange, um, you would have someone who's a, uh, the story facilitator. Folks are invited to come, um, and they're going to be in, um, in a circle, in a group. Um, there, it can be a little bit larger, You know, maybe depending on the time that you have. Um, how large your circle is really is a function of how much time you have to go around the, the circle, if you will. Um, but what, how Stories Change will, will work is that people will come into the space. You'll kind of set, um, explain what the format's going to be, set some ground rules, and then you offer up a prompt. Uh, this is a tell a story about. And so here, just the one that I use in my class, I teach a class here on deliberative democracy. And so in, I, we've done a story Change at the beginning of the class. And I'll just ask the students, like, tell a story about a time you changed your mind. Um, Because the class itself is all about the importance of of having an open mind, that sort of intellectual humility. Um, And so some prompts here. I just pulled a few from um, some I've done, some I haven't. Tell a story from your life when you first uh, witnessed or participated in an act of compassion. What story can you tell about when you realized race matters? Tell a story about a time you were at the mercy of your emotions. Think of a story from your life in which you responded to such a cultural collision and what you gained from that experience. You know That sense of like, ooh, yeah, you've, you were made maybe, uh, it was the unfamiliar, the unknown, that um, uh, maybe there's, there's an uh, uncomfortable experience, but you learned from it. Tell a story of a time when you had a pre- preconceived idea about someone, and those ideas turned out to be wrong. But we can also do really hopeful stories as well. Tell a story of a moment you felt utter joy. Tell a story of an adventure you've been on. So you, you can, there's lots of, you can play, but you can be very creative with the story prompts. And what you're gonna do is you're gonna pair your participants up. And then they have that, we often give the story prompt in advance, you know, and so people know, okay, they're gonna come, they're gonna share this story. So, That's good, you want people thinking about what's the story that matters to them and that they're gonna share with somebody. And so uh, they would come, they'd learn about the the format of the story exchange, the prompt, and you're gonna pair them off and they're gonna go off for maybe 10 minutes or so. Um, And what they're going to do is just with another individual, they're gonna share their story. Um, And this is the challenge. It's a challenge in like deep listening because when you come back, To the group, you're gonna tell that your partner's story as as if it's your own from the first person, right? So I might say, you know, hi, I'm Anna. This is a story about a time I've changed my mind or a time I felt compassion. And then I would tell Anna's story as if it's my own. And you kind of go around the circle um, and you're just sharing each other's stories. Um, So folks have been researching this, you know, what happens in that moment when we're present with with someone else, we're open, we're listening. Um, Students will often, you know, you usually check in, you know, as soon before the story exchange begins and people always say, I'm so worried that I'm going to mess it up, that I I didn't capture everything in that person's story. Um, When I first practiced the story exchange, I felt so tempted. I was trying to like take notes and get everybody's story verbatim. I was like, okay, I'm not gonna be able to, I, I, I was so, I didn't trust that I could retain it. Um, and it's such a good challenge. So we tell our students, nope, no notes. You're just gonna be present and you're gonna listen and you can do it. Like it's it's a, also an activity and exercise in deep listening. Uh, there's been research done on these story exchanges, you know, as a way of kind of building empathy. There is something about telling somebody else's story as if it's your own, kind of, be, you know that perspective taking, being in somebody else's shoes. Our students tell us it's um, it, the the thing that they were surprised about is how it feels to hear somebody else tell their story. Uh, um, we've had students say like, in some sense, that maybe they've shared something that's pretty, you know, where it feels pretty raw, or it was a hard story that they're sharing. Where like they might say, I kind of forgive myself. Maybe it was a story where they feel like they. They, you know, injured or harmed. You know, they didn't act with as much compassion as they wish they could have. But then hearing somebody else tell that story back gives them that perspective of like almost like a self-forgiveness, a way of kind of sitting with um, with their story. Um, there's all sorts of ground rules. We, you know, it's like the trust circle, right? Where we say the stories, the stories like stay. You know, those are precious. But the lessons leave. That's those are the things that we take with us in our heart. Um, and so we've been doing story exchanges. We've kind of been weaving them into classes. Um, with other organizations, we've been doing them in the residence halls, kind of another area in which students are coming from all over, right? And so they don't really know each other. Um, and so it's a, it's a way of um, of uh, opening. I students, w- we have found that it's really fun to do multiple story exchanges because the first one, students, especially in our context, like they might be a little reticent to like share something that's deeply personal but by the end of the class they're like they're laying it kind of all out because there's that trust that's been built in that community that connection so those are different ways in which you can get a sense of who your community is Um, again whether it's people within your church community whether it's you know the ways in which you connect and relate to the neighborhood in which you're situated in or people coming Um, i think i was trying to listen, I was eavesdropping a little bit, people maybe coming in to, um, so from Wabatosa, I don't know where folks are coming, if they're all like, if it's a real neighborhood based thing or they're coming from all over, right? Um, and so in our day where we're so busy and disconnected and on our screen, you know, sometimes being present with one another can be really good.